So, morning church. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Paul and I'm one of the pastors here at Central Vineyard. Now, as Steve has already said, last week we finished off a five-month-long series where we went through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I thought it was a really great series. I'm not biased in any way whatsoever, but I thought it was really good, really challenging. But now it's time for a bit of a change. And with that in mind, today I'm kicking off a brand new series that I've called Come Holy Spirit. So over the next six weeks or so, we're going to look in depth at who the Holy Spirit is, how the Holy Spirit impacts and operates in our lives, how the Holy Spirit really is central to our mission to extend God's kingdom together everywhere and in every way, and how the Holy Spirit is central to us becoming more like Jesus and better followers of Jesus. And today, I'm going to introduce the Holy Spirit to you. You may think you already know the Holy Spirit, but I would ask you just to, to hang in there because maybe today you'll learn something new. I'm going to talk about who the Holy Spirit is. I'm going to talk about his identity and also, I hope, clear up any misconceptions that you may have. So just before we dive in, I just want to talk a little bit about why we've called this Come Holy Spirit. If you've been around a vineyard church for any length of time, whether that's here in Central Vineyard or whether that's in another vineyard church elsewhere, then the words, or should I say the prayer, Come Holy Spirit, should not be new to you. It's the prayer that effectively started the vineyard movement that we are part of. Now I'm going to read an excerpt uh, describing the event that birthed the vineyard movement. And for those of you who don't know, John Wimber was the founding leader of the vineyard movement. And so when I refer to John in this excerpt, it's not the guy stand, standing at the back on sound, it's referring to John Wimber, okay? So it's quite a lot to read, so I won't have it up on the screen, so you're just going to have to look at me and listen. You okay with that? Yes. Good church. Okay. On Mother's Day 1980, John had a unique experience at the church he pastored in Yorba Linda, California. John was from a Quaker tradition and was a respected voice teaching leaders about church growth through evangelism. John had invited a guest speaker named Lonnie Frisbee to teach at their evening service. Lonnie was a hippie who was a part of what became known as the Jesus People Movement in the late 1960s in Southern California. John's church was filled with young people and they gathered to worship as usual that night. Lonnie got up to speak and at the conclusion of his message, he prayed a prayer that has been prayed by many throughout church history. It was a simple prayer, one that has become one of the most important prayers we pray across the Vineyard family of churches. The prayer was simply, come, Holy Spirit. It's a prayer that the Church of Jesus Christ has been praying in many forms over many centuries. That night, when that three-word prayer was prayed, all heaven broke loose in John Wimber's community. An entire movement 
of churches has in many ways grown around that prayer. After that gathering, deeply encountered by the Holy Spirit, young people poured into the streets, leading hundreds, then thousands to faith in Jesus Christ. Miracles followed their simple prayers, such as healing of bodies and minds, as well as deliverance from addictions. Since that time, tens of thousands have come to faith in Jesus through the work of the vineyard. Today, you will hear this simple prayer in some form being prayed in virtually every vineyard church around the world. It is because we are learning in the vineyard what the body of Christ has had to learn again and again throughout history. That with the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, we can do the works of Jesus. We can join him in advancing the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. We are a people of the presence of God. So we pray, come Holy Spirit. Wow. In some ways, I could just end it right there and just allow the Holy Spirit to, to minister to us as wonderful as that would be, and it truly would be. But I think it's really important that we've got a good understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. You know, the question, who is the Holy Spirit, that question or topic is one that the church has debated for millennia. The church has struggled really since the very beginning to articulate just who the Holy Spirit is and the role that he plays in our walk with Jesus. Even in the very first version of the Nicene Creed, which is our statement of what we as the church believe, when it was first formulated at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, you can see that they struggled. Let me read it to you and a word of warning. The English in this is quite old, and, and it's obviously an early translation from the original Greek. Um, well, obvious if you're a, a bit of a Bible nerd. But also the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Holy Ghost. And I know that can conjure up all sorts of conflicting thoughts in today's world. But let's just put that aside for now. It's just an old way of saying Holy Spirit. So here we go. I should have it up on screen. We believe in one God the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible. All good so far. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, consubstantial, which kind of means the same essence or substance, with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for ourselves and women, and for our salvation, came down and was incarnate and was made man. He suffered, and the third day he rose again, ascended into heaven. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Apparently the slow, they're perfectly fine. No judgment there. Just going to judge the quick and the dead. But seriously, if you don't know, that's an archaic English phrase that just means the living and the dead. And so now we've covered God the Father, we've covered God the Son, and so on to the Holy Spirit, a third, the third person of the Trinity. Are you ready? This is the summation of the first statement of belief in regards to the Holy Spirit. Click. And in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> That's it. 
the end, the sum total of the greatest Christian theological thinkers of the time was, oh, yeah, and the Holy Ghost. Although they believed in the Holy Spirit, they were literally at a loss as to how to articulate the theology surrounding the Holy Spirit. Now, to be fair, 56 years later, they gave it another shot and revised the Nicene Creed at the Council of Constantinople in 381 AD and added the following. And in the Holy Ghost, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, he has spoken through the prophets. Full stop. Better, but I think still not enough. As Simon Ponsonby, in his book, God Inside Out, says in reference to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is the third article in the creeds, and sadly, often ranked third in theology. Yet, as we shall see from the standpoint of experience, the Spirit is first. Now, if you're a bit of a Bible geek and into theology like, like I am, um, if you want to dig deeper into the theology around Holy Spirit, then I really recommend Simon Ponsonby's book. It's called God Inside Out. I think we've got a, a picture of it up there. Um, I will be referring to that book quite a bit. But if you want to go deeper, that's the book to get. So where was I? Okay. I think the church, and by which I mean all followers of Jesus, has always struggled with just who or what the Holy Spirit is. Even in the Bible, there are so many metaphors, titles, and descriptions for the Holy Spirit because it is just so difficult to articulate the dynamic and supernatural nature of the Holy Spirit. Simon Ponsonby says, whenever and wherever the church has faltered in her understanding and relating to the Spirit, it is because one of two errors have been made or held. The first is when the Spirit is granted personality but denied, denied divinity, regarded as a less-than-divine agent, a created being, perhaps even supreme among created beings, but nevertheless subordinate to God, marching to the beat of his superiors. The second is when the Spirit is granted divinity but denied personality, regarded as God in his action humanward in the mode of spirit and energy emitted, but not a distinct or divisible divine person in God. Now that, I admit, is a little bit heavy. Um, so I will unpack it more as I attempt to answer through uh, three points. Also, it should be good three points. Um, through three points, the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, first, the Holy Spirit is God. As I've already alluded to via the Nicene Creed and the quotes that I've used so far, the Holy Spirit is God, just as much God as God the Father or as God the Son, Jesus. But some of you, quite rightly, could or rather should say, uh, what does the Bible say though? So let's find out. But before I do, and if you have one, now would be a good time to get your Bible out, whether it's paper or electronic, and have it ready because I'm going to touch on a number, on quite a number of Bible verses today. Now, let me give a word of warning. Please, please, please don't feel that you have to keep up. 
I'd rather that you listened than be distracted by trying to find each verse. It's, you know, listen to what I'm saying rather than keep trying to look at it. In fact, there are too many verses to go through today. Um, so some I will quote, some I will make reference to, and some I will simply allude to and not even give the reference. That all said, if you want a list of the Bible verses linked to the points I'm going to make, please get in contact with me via email and I will send them to you. My email is available on the Central Vineyard website or via Church Suite if you're on that platform. Okay, also we'll, we will have some of the verses up on the screen. Are you ready? One person's ready. Well done, Esther, and turn your phone off. <laughs> so, <laughs> there are a host of biblical texts which equate divinity with the Spirit, i.e. being God, both directly and indirectly throughout both the Old and the New Testaments. The theologian John Peck said that in both the Old and New Testaments, there is no categorical distinction made between God and the Spirit. Here are just a few examples. And we're going to start off with the very first words of the Bible, a very good place to start. No, I'm not going to sing. It's fine. Um, Genesis 1, 1 to 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, God in verse 1 is the Hebrew Elohim. And the Spirit of God in verse 2 is Ruach. You really got to get the phlegm up. Ruach Elohim. In Hebrew, the language and grammar is such that actually the word God in verse 1 and the word uh, Spirit of God in verse 2 effectively have the same essence. So as far as the Old Testament was concerned, they were the same essence. On to the New Testament. The beginning of Luke, when the angel addressed Mary and told her she would have a son and to call him Jesus, Mary asked, how? And she was a virgin. A reasonable question, I think. Luke 1.35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The title Most High is being assigned to the Holy Spirit here. And that title is reserved for God alone. Sam used it earlier. I would love it. As soon as Sam said it, uh, as she was praying earlier, uh, the Most High, I just thought, yes, we've got a great example there. In reference to God, the Most High. Then, in the book of Acts, in chapter 5, when Ananias is caught, giving only a portion of the proceeds of his property sale to the church, but pretended it was the full amount. This leads to Acts 5, 3 to 4. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. 
Peter accuses Ananias of lying to the Holy Spirit and then says, you have not just lied to human beings, you've lied to God. Peter is equating the Holy Spirit with God. We also see many attributes or actions of the divine God being ascribed to the Holy Spirit. Just some of them are, because we could go all day. Hebrews 9.14 refers to the eternal spirit. And eternal means without beginning or end, an attribute only true of God. Psalm 139 says the spirit is everywhere. Another word for that is omnipresence, which is an attribute of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 to 12 says in summary that the Holy Spirit knows all God's thoughts. So the spirit knows everything. We call that being omniscient, another attribute of God. And Matthew 12, 31 says that the Holy Spirit can be sinned and blasphemed against, something that is only possible against, you got it? One person's with me, God. Thank you, Sam. And finally, let's look at the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 19, 20, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are asked to baptize those who become disciples or followers of Jesus in the tri-personal name of God. The Protestant reformer John Calvin noted in his theological work, Institutes of the Christian Religion, the following on this point. For this means precisely to be baptized into the name of the one God who has shown himself with complete clarity in the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Hence, it is quite clear that in God's essence reside three persons in whom one God is known. The Trinity is really quite complex to understand at times, and, and, and some people have struggled their entire lifetime just to really get a grasp on it. But if the one thing you can take from what I've said so far, and that is the Holy Spirit is God. He is no less and no other than God himself. No less than the Father, no less than Jesus, distinct from both, but equally God. Moving swiftly on. Point number two. The Holy Spirit is a person. Having established that the Holy Spirit is divine, is God, this has then led to many making the mistake of thinking of Holy Spirit as you know, being some kind of divine force. The impersonal power of God. Being a Star Wars fan, I always use the analogy of the force in Star Wars. Um, a power that you can tap into and has no personality. It's a something rather than a someone. Well, many people think of the Holy Spirit as just that, a spiritual power, a force, or a presence. And it doesn't help that some refer to the Holy Spirit as it. Now, we are getting too deep. This mostly derives from some confusion in the differences in grammar between the Hebrew, the Greek, and the Latin. It's okay, I'm not gonna go into it. Um, but the point is using it does imply an impersonal aspect to the Holy Spirit. For the record, I use he, 
not because I believe the Holy Spirit to necessarily be male, but so that I'm reminded of the personal nature of Holy Spirit. I choose he because the Greek for helper or advocate, parakletos or paraklete used in John is grammatically masculine, but more on that in a bit, but you can't wait. So, where in the Bible do we see evidence of the Holy Spirit being someone rather than something? Well, it's in the qualities of personhood exhibited by the Holy Spirit. Some examples are, and just a few, throughout Acts, the Holy Spirit is seen to be set in church direction, and impersonal force doesn't do that. In the epistles, the Holy Spirit is ascribed with having a mind and a will as well as feelings. And also there are references to the Holy Spirit helping and praying for the church. None of these qualities belong to an inanimate, impersonal force, power, or energy. They belong to a person. So the Holy Spirit is a person. Simon Ponsonby again says, The Spirit is God is person, not an independent, autonomous self, but a person in relation within the Godhead who reaches out personally to relate to mankind, a person without a face, but a person nonetheless. Okay, on to the last point about who the Holy Spirit is. Almost, don't get too excited. The Holy Spirit is a helper. I've already mentioned a Greek word used to refer to the Holy Spirit, which is parakletos, and as a proper name, it's paraklete. This Greek word, parakletos, means one who is called to someone's aid. This word is really hard, actually, to translate directly into English, and and some of the translations include comforter, counselor, helper, and advocate. This term was applied to the Holy Spirit by Jesus multiple times in the Gospel of John. And it it gives so much insight into the Holy Spirit's role and what he does. Just one example is in John 14, 26. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit, has been sent by Father God to help us in our mission to extend the kingdom of God and also in our discipleship as followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives us the supernatural power that we are sorely lacking. There are also many Bible verses that refer to what the Holy Spirit does. And the rest of this series will dive into detail on how the Holy Spirit works with us and connects us intimately with God by dwelling within us. Just a small subset of the activities of the Holy Spirit include that he lives within followers of Jesus and produces lasting change in their character. He brings transformation. He teaches the truth about Jesus. He guides us and communicates what God wants to say to us. He conveys and communicates God's love for us. He gives followers of Jesus the skills and abilities that they need to share God's love. We call these spiritual gifts. And he gives believers the power to extend the kingdom of God. It says in Acts 1.8, 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the Holy Spirit is a promise of the great things to come for those who trust in God. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. These are just a sample of the many things that the Holy Spirit does as our helper and our counselor. So, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. And the Holy Spirit is our helper. I could leave it there, but please indulge me a little bit longer. First, a little story, or a confession, really. Prior to going to university, I really didn't apply myself to learning. Um, it was a massive chore for me, if I'm honest. Um, I just really didn't care that much. I, and, you know, I regret it now, but in hindsight, I realized why. I used to constantly ask the question, so what? Probably in a slightly sarky tone, but so what? I used to ask the question of the teachers, and they couldn't tell me. They just said, you need to learn this stuff. Now, this was a long time ago, like last millennia, and I'm sure teaching methods have changed. But I realized I didn't want to learn anything if there wasn't an answer to the question, so what? How do I apply this to my life? How is this useful or helpful? So just don't get me started on calculus. Differentials, integrals, my goodness, what's the point? I'm only half joking. And any teachers in the room, please don't have a go at me. I now know that there is something good about the so what. I've realized it. All that to say, I've given you a lot of information today about the Holy Spirit. But so what? If I don't convey that to you, then I have failed. So don't worry. I have promised Susie Van Ruen that we will be done by 12 o'clock as she apparently has an important lunch engagement. She made it really, really clear to me. I need to be out by 12, Paul. So don't worry, we'll definitely be done by then. Um, the Holy Spirit is God. So what? <laughs> if anyone's got their phone on now, now might be a good time to turn it off. The Holy Spirit is God. So what? Well, for me, that means you should respect and revere the Holy Spirit. He is holy. He is divine. Show the Holy Spirit as much respect and reverence as you would show God the Father or Jesus. It means it is okay to act, and actually right, if I'm honest, for you to worship the Holy Spirit just as you would worship the Father and Jesus. It means you can pray to the Holy Spirit. Now, some people are very funny about that. They quite happily pray to God, to God the Father and to Jesus, but they struggle with praying directly to the Holy Spirit. But then, come Holy Spirit is 
a prayer to the Holy Spirit. It isn't a command. It is a prayer to God, the Holy Spirit. It means we should ask what the Holy Spirit wants from us rather than us trying to get something from the Holy Spirit. In other words, we should submit to the Holy Spirit and not try and command the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. So what? Well, it means you can relate in a personal way with the Holy Spirit. Speak to and converse with the Holy Spirit. Love the Holy Spirit. Spend time in his presence. Get to know the Holy Spirit and understand how he communicates with you individually. But also be careful not to offend or insult the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve him. Don't reject him. The Holy Spirit is not a power to be manipulated, but rather a person with whom we have a relationship. The Holy Spirit is a helper. So what? Well, this one we will discover more as we progress through the series, but just some things that it means to me. It means we're not alone on our journey. We are not alone in extending the kingdom of God. We are not alone in our attempt to follow Jesus and be his disciples. God himself comes and dwells within us. The Holy Spirit transforms us, connects us intimately with God the Father and Jesus. The Holy Spirit gives us strength and power to do those things that are impossible by our own strength and will. The Holy Spirit comforts us when we need comforting. He empowers us when we need empowering. And he corrects us when we need correcting. One image of the Holy Spirit is one of fire, which means he refines us, he purifies us, but also produces in us a passion, a fire for God, a fire for extending the kingdom of God. Talking of passion, I'm getting carried away. Um, I think I need to land this. Um, let me conclude. So who is the Holy Spirit? Paraphrasing slightly Simon Ponsonby and what he says in his book, the Spirit is eternal, personal, powerful God. What difference does, should this make to my worship, work and walk with him? The Lord, the Spirit is able to see and to save. Nothing I face is outside his comprehension or command. But he is not a force or energy to be manipulated for my own ends. But Lord, in his sovereign freedom, to be worshipped and glorified. As a person, he is a being in relation with me. A person wired for relationship. The Holy Spirit is not an it, not a what but a he, a who. He is God, outgoing, outreaching, outstretching to me in love. The Spirit is not vague, distant, abstract, incommunicable, force-filled, but divine Lord and personal lover. I need to say no more. And if you are able to, please stand.